From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling B2B startups. Join our host, Ross Rich, this season on The Seller's Journey as he chats with today's top sales leaders about building winning playbooks, scaling teams, and partnering with customers. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to your favorite sales podcast from vendorship to partnership. I'm your host, Ross Rich, and we're in season two, Seller's Journey. We got an awesome guest today, Connor Dragomanovich, Director of Commercial Sales at Product Board. Welcome. Thanks. Appreciate you having me, Ross. Glad to be here. Of course. Yeah, it's been uh, great to get to know you from the last, I think, you know, two and a half or so years here on my journey at Accord and, uh, you know, your journey up through sales leadership and management. So really excited to take some of the lessons that you've learned and share it with the community today. Yeah, same here. Awesome. Well, before we dive into the questions, if you don't mind, maybe given kind of the elevator pitch a bit about your background and what you're working on today. And so folks uh, have a reason, you know, why they should be listening to yourself today. Yeah, totally. So like you said, currently director of commercial sales at Product Board. But previous to that, you know, I joined just about four years ago as one of their founding AEs back when we were a really small shop. So mm-hmm. this wasn't entirely a new venture for me in the sense that my background had been at startups and I'd previously been a founding AE at a company called DealPath previous to this. Before that, I had joined um, Appfolio pre-IPO at pretty early stages as well as an account executive for them. And so a lot of my background, of course, is selling as an IC and did Mm -hmm. so at every one of these companies. But in Product Board, really sort of took a shine and had the opportunity to get into leadership. And, you know, first just started doing that sort of ill-fated, both carrying a bag and managing a team (laughs) for a couple of quarters, as so many of us have been there where we both tried to hit a quota and manage a outsized team. But uh, thankfully, was able to hire some frontline folks after uh, not too much time, moved into mm-hmm. a uh, director role a little over a year ago. And right now, just in the process of continuing to scale out this commercial team of roughly 20 plus uh, you know, account executives at Product Board. Awesome. Well, excited to get into some of those learnings and advice for other folks that might be, like you said, on the front lines or even at the director level still carrying a bag. But before we get any further, I would love to kick off with our first question, what do most people get wrong when it comes to sales at startups? Yeah, you know, this is, I I actually chat with a lot of early stage founders when they're looking for that perfect profile and how to go about the right, you know, series of steps when it comes to building Mm -hmm. out a sort of a sales team and function. And, you know, I think it does vary from org to org when it comes to the missteps. But I think more broadly, it's, it's about, it's about looking too far ahead. I think that's what people Mm. get wrong more often than not, whether it's the tech stack, the sales process and methodology, the enablement material. I think it's really tempting to start to look ahead based on prior experience and know what sort of empowered your high functioning sales team and want all of those bells and whistles. And Mm -hmm. people usually skip steps to get there, my experience. Interesting, interesting. So yeah, maybe to make that a bit more tactical, I'm thinking about, you know, might be a comfort level to having some of those, what, like sales enablement, you know, resources and decks and all that kind of stuff. But if you're still figuring out even what you say, is that kind of where you're at? Like it might be too much there. Or what, you know, what's a good example of maybe something that, that you can wait on um, while you're focused on kind of what, what's uh, a task today at a startup? Yeah, like I think you're exactly right. Like that's a good way to put it, the sort of comfort. Like it, it can become a safety blanket when you look back on past experience and say, hey, we had well-defined sales training. We were following the Sandler or the force methodology. We had all of this qualification criteria baked out. We were well, you know, uh, 
uh, attended to medic. And all of these things are something that we should be implementing on day one, right? And so uh, I've seen it before where um, founders will chat with me and they'll be like, well, so do I, do I implement medic first or do I hire sales training or who, like what kind of enablement material? And really it's, you should be relentlessly focused on the customer and the customer mm. profile, right? If you're doing that from the get-go, you're in good shape. Who are they? What do they care about? What is your role in helping them achieve their business goals? That should be the, just like the rigorous focus from the jump before you start getting into medic methodologies for your team, even though that is important, of course. Totally. Yeah. You, you need some of that, but yeah, it sounds like the, the 80, 20 is probably yeah, with focusing on, on your customer. They're awesome. Would love your take then maybe on when's the right time to be thinking about building out processes or kind of how much of a process do you need to start? This is always, you know, again, talking to other, you know, founders and early sales leaders that might be coming from a later stage company ask me is, you know, hey, when do we need a process for winning customers and onboarding and driving success? I'm curious to get your take on that with the lens of maybe, you know, folks are doing too much too soon. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think in general, when I'm getting asked this question about when to scale, it's like, well, part one is, of course, product maturity, right? Do we have mm. that product market fit? Part two, do the unit economics work? Part three is know your customer. Who are they? Where do we find them? And then it comes to like attracting and training the team where you do start to put that playbook in place. And so I think like once you have at least that founding AE, and I always say like, if you can hire them in pairs, right? Like hire two founding AEs. I've I've done both where I've been the sole AE and I've also been in the case where I was hired with a counterpart where the two of us mm -hmm. were, you know, of course, very competitive with one another. And once we started to really ingest that we were lucky enough to have, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of inbound leads, but it was really up to us to qualify and quantify them. But once mm -hmm. we started to really get into those customer conversations, we were booking meetings and now in the process of having demos and people were actually to our great surprise asking, you know, where do we sign? It's then that, you know, you need to start applying a little bit of structure and then go through that process of how do we actually, like, what is the first series of steps in that playbook? And I always think it comes down to like, it's the people, then the prospect, then the problem, then the process, and then the product, right? And so like, at first you should just be like going through, like, can we start to build out these personas? Have we identified the problems and gaps that exist in the in industry? And more importantly, why does that problem exist? What's the most common impact of that problem? And once you've solved for that, you can start to go through the mm. process of cadences, scripts, metrics, demo breakdown. So that should happen you know, right around the time you hire those first couple of AEs who are now in full flight doing discoveries and demos. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I think, like you said, a lot of things get skipped and it might be easier to get into... Yeah, those exit criteria and stages in Salesforce or HubSpot. But I think what you mentioned is kind of the foundation for any successful go-to-market team, which is really that framework for like what the customer solving for all those things. I think that commonly gets skipped or is too broad. I think that's probably like the status quo issue is like, oh, we can do everything for everyone because we're so early that you know we're excited about this stuff. We don't have to worry about close rates and you know conversions, which are typically very low when you're trying to be everything to everyone, but you get, like you said, a lot of those leads at the start. So turning those into something that's very efficient, I think, yes, yeah, starts with that right framework that you just mentioned and then goes into, okay, who are the right people to do this and the conversion rates and processes and, and all that good stuff. Totally. And it's so easy to fall into that trap. And, I, and, and I've certainly been there myself. And if you can, it's like, you're already talking to a lot of different customers of great variety. You haven't really lumped them into specific customer profiles yet. So that's when you take advantage of, you know, doing those customer interviews and asking questions that are going to help you 
do a better job of categorizing them, which will then inform how you build out your process. Awesome. Well, a question that's been on top of my mind that I think uniquely you're going to have a great perspective on as someone who's both, you know, kind of started out as that, you know, founding AE, led the team in terms of both the manager and selling role, and then now director of sales. Curious to get your take on the best way to partner with your reps on selling deals. You're trying to balance the coaching and up-leveling the team and get out of the way. You also know that there's a quota at the end of that month and the end of that quarter, and you get on a great call with a potential larger deal. You don't want to say the wrong thing, and you know how to close these deals. I'd love to get your take on what that play-by-play is on your head in your head when you're going through that type of conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I, and I just, uh, I guess for clarity's sake, it's how do you partner with reps without, I guess, over-partnering, right? And taking too much control away from the AE themselves. Is, is, is that sort of what you're getting at here? Yeah, you know, you have two real goals, you know, on your hands here. You have closing this deal and making sure revenue goes to the company and everything's super valuable in the early days. And you have, you know, your team is going to be the long-term path to success over time, yeah. but maybe not for this deal. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know any sales leader that hasn't struggled with that very dilemma. And I, I think it's really important to keep the end game in mind, right? Because like, of course, like you can jump in at every turn, especially with the calls that you've been invited in to help with. And mm-hmm. you may win that deal. You may do a better job. You probably will because you have more experience and you can ultimately provide a better experience for the customer. But yeah. if you keep the end game in mind, you're doing a disservice both to customers of the future and certainly to the AE on your team. And so... In my experience, the best way to partner with those AEs is just relentless preparation in advance of that. Mm. It's not always the easiest thing to do when you have time constraints and when you are a leader, both juggling a bag and that of your team. But ultimately, if you do make sure, and all of the AEs know when bringing me onto a call, for example, like there needs to be a role assigned, not only to me, but to any other cross-functional partner that we might be bringing on. And the AE knows their role, right? And when you make a real clear delineation between what's expected of the leader on the call and the AE on the Mm -hmm. call, it really does help to avoid those oversteps. And I think one of the most useful parts of that preparation process when working with an AE, especially one that's maybe a bit more on the junior side, is you want to anticipate the possible objections or really any other questions that may come up and do a bit of scenario planning. And then walking Mm -hmm. through that with them in advance, it always helped because they're not going to get blindsided, or at least they're much less likely to get blindsided. And I think that's been one of the best ways. And the more trust that you demonstrate you have in the AE, the better served they are, as is the relationship that you have with that AE going forward. So ultimately, you do have to, as hard as it is, take a step back because the long game is, is the better play. No, I, I love that though, because it's not just, you know, someone saying, hey, think about the long-term thing and, you know, make sure you step back and then debrief with them. It's like, hey, if you want to set them up for success, put in that work beforehand. And I think that's something that I personally struggle with, right? Is, you know, busy schedule. Oh, there's this important call, jump on. And then I'm like, shoot, I know the answer to these questions because, you know, I was I was the founding rep as the founder and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you want to make sure you're providing that value, like you said, providing that better experience. But going through after with them and debriefing isn't as impactful because they're not going to be in the moment. They're not challenged with having to answer the questions. So I think that's a great answer. You know, you need to invest the time up front because even the coaching, I think people default on the coaching a lot, whereas the Mm -hmm. prep work and putting them in that position to be successful on that particular call versus saying the next one, they're going to be coached for that next one is probably the the right move there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, And I think for leaders that are listening that are like, well, I don't have time 
to, to do that with every one of my AEs. That's just unrealistic. It does help to have a framework through which the AE yeah. can start to fill out themselves in terms of what objections do you anticipate? What is the problem that we're solving for? Like other questions that you're sure will come up and you, you're sort of prepared responses to those so that yeah. you get that out of the way in advance of a prep call. And then you can just sort of talk through exactly like the finer points of how they want to you know approach it. Totally. How do you guys do that? My product board, do you have, you know, a standard Google doc or sheet or something like that, that they fill out? Or what's the kind of internal talk tracker collaboration before uh, like a key stakeholder meeting like that? Yeah, we have what we call an opportunity inspection sheet and it's pretty thorough. And so there's expectations set in terms of like what we know we want filled out as far as the non-negotiables and what we hope to get to time permitting. But the fundamental questions of the opportunity should be addressed prior to any call prep or op review. And it's really transformed the way we approach opportunities and potential partnerships because it always is prompting the AE to think about the most critical sort of foundational questions that we want answers to prior to any conversation. And it ultimately serves the customer better because usually their biggest complaints are, hey, they don't listen to me. They don't understand my business. And you know they have their own agenda in mind. And when you're doing it with the customer's, you know, intentions at the forefront of your like conversation, you're better served for sure. Totally. No, I, I love that. Both supporting your rep, but also at the end, like you've been going back to the customer is the, uh, is the ultimate goal there. Awesome. Well, before we get into the lightning round with some one word, one sentence answers to a few questions, I'd love to get your sense. You know, you've been around the block, sold at a number of companies, early stage. Now you're a leader at, you know, what's developing to be a pretty incredible platform at Product Board. Here's to get your take on what, you know, where are we going? The future of B2B sales. I know that you've had some roles where it's more kind of product-led motion and sales on top, and you're kind of co-selling with your product. Number of other stakeholders involved, like onboarding specialists and CSMs and folks like that. I'm curious, yeah, like where do you see the world going for sales? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about this a lot. I don't want to get left behind, of course, nobody yeah. does. But you know, I think like hybridity and flexibility are what's going to win the day. Hybridity in terms of PLG and traditional selling motions. I was talking with you know Alexa and her team over at Pocus. She's the founder of a, you know that uh, a really fantastic sort of PLG enabled company called Pocus. And too often we see the dialogue being very binary. It's like, oh, you can be PLG or you can be that tops down or traditional selling motion. And of course, that's not going to be the case. We're going mm-hmm. to see a need for both. There's still enterprise motions that are well supported by what you might call you know, the traditional selling motion. But ultimately, how PLG is going to serve the top of the funnel for both you know, AEs and the companies in general is going to be so powerful and it's not going away anytime soon. So I do see that level of hybridity playing a major role. And then flexibility, I think also just where you work, where you sell. Obviously, remote's not going away either. And this just absolutely opens up the talent pool with respect to where you can find really exceptional candidates. And then I think, you know, there's an element like you've talked about before and what I know you all are doing so well at Accord, which is there needs to be more involvement from the customer and the process of how the crazy concept, but I mean, how they purchase the software, right? Like too often you hear now, and it's increasingly the case that there's needless friction points with respect to what AEs or SDRs are putting buyers through. But I also think the accountability is on on the buyer as well, right? And so there's a yeah, mutual, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Where there needs to be that level of partnership, and and it's best when that's sort of agreed upon as early as possible, so that there's yeah. just total alignment on exactly what this path is going to look like towards deciding whether to buy or not to to buy and, and partner with the team. Totally, I, I think you really nailed it with that. You know, hybrid model across you know the spectrum of those three key things with 
how you're working within your team, how you're partnering with customers and how you think about, you know, kind of standard direct selling with more of this product-led motion. But, you know, in terms of the Accord side of things, like you said, with that mutual accountability, I think it's funny because I think a lot of times you see reps that mean well, that aren't having what some might think of as the hard conversations earlier, just asking the direct questions of like, are you going to buy a thing now? Or is this just research? Or like, how much are you willing to spend on a thing? Because we cost money and that's my job here. And maybe you're not willing to, and you're going to continue doing the things the way you are because you don't budget, but you're excited about the future of these things. And I think just having that honest, you know, real partnership type conversation earlier avoids a lot of what, you know, I think from the sales side of things is very, is frustration. Hey, I feel like you've been, you know, dragging me along and you've said, you know, want to have all these conversations and bring in all these other stakeholders. And I thought this was feeling like a real deal and a big investment when maybe you just didn't have that conversation up front. And if they said, Hey, I'm just curious, I want to learn, maybe you'd be willing to do that or approach it differently. And same thing with them. So I think, yeah, just driving towards more directness seems to be a big solution to a lot of those problems. Yeah, it's well said. It's why I got excited when you initially introduced me to Accord because it finally puts like a framework and a name and just documentation to something that we all should have been doing and and been endeavoring to do for a long time. But this brings the customer into the conversation in a way that they hadn't been involved in previously, which is so important. Totally. Awesome. All right. Well, before we jump off, Connor, would love to jump in some one word, one sentence answers to the following questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Most common misconception about sales? That it's a selfish game. Yeah. Favorite app or piece of software as a sales leader today? Right now, because I'm such a data nerd, has to be Clary. Awesome. An aspirational sales team to build yours after? I see a lot of content from Dini Meta over at Lattice. Seems like she's got an amazing sales org with a pretty inspiring culture. Yes. Yeah, I've been following her stuff as well. Most helpful work-related book or resource that you've consumed? I just reread Never Split the Difference by Chris Foss. It's mentioned too often, but uh, it's good. And anything by Tom Tungas. Yeah. Last one. Hardest part of scaling sales at an early stage startup? Patience. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Connor. Well, before we sign off, if folks want to get in touch with you, maybe fellow you know, startup sales leaders or aspiring reps that are looking to make the switch over to sales management, what's the best way to get in touch? Please reach out. We are hiring. It's just Connor, C-O-N-O-R at Product Board or hit me up on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for making the time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Russ. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership. For more sales and startup insights like this, please be sure to subscribe here or at inaccord.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.